Healthy Hacker, Episode 23. Hello and welcome to The Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming puzzles, memory fitness diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. I'm Chris Hunt, and today is a special episode because I'm not just going to be talking to myself. I've got somebody special on today, Mr. Abraham Martinez, who is the Chief Operating Officer and a financial advisor at Brio Financial Group in San Francisco. I met Abraham through a mutual friend and coworker, actually a couple coworkers, at GitHub, and I thought he would be a great guest on this podcast because I love learning about money and things you can do with it to reach your goals. Should I be putting money into my 401k? Should I be putting money, you know, as cash savings? Should I be buying my stock options at the company I'm working at? So many questions. And Abraham's specialty is answering those questions and giving you the tools to do whatever you want with your money. So I've really, really enjoyed working with him. And I think he's just an amazing resource for this kind of stuff. So today he's on the show and he's going to talk about what is financial planning, just the concept, what does it even mean? Because it's a very generic term, what, what he thinks that means as his role as a financial planner and advisor, and some things that we can look for when trying to find our own financial advisor and how someone like him can help you reach your goals just in life, not just in money. So it's a fun conversation. I really enjoy talking to Abraham, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. But before we get into that, let's do the workout of the week. The workout of the week is a section where I like to take a workout that I've done recently or someone has shared with me, and I share it with you. And if you're looking for something to do this week, maybe you'll give it a shot. This week, I thought it would be fun to ask Abraham, our guest, what his favorite workout is, and he is going to share that with you now. The one that originally came to my mind from a workout perspective, it, I believe it's called fartlex. I don't know if you've ever done those or heard of those, but essentially you're like running, let's say you're running with like three or four people and you're kind of like in, you know, a single file line. And essentially all that you're doing is one person is leading the pack. And then for like the 45 seconds or 30 seconds, whatever the time frame is, the person from the back then takes over the lead and is dictating the pace, you know, at a harder pace for like the next like 30 seconds or so. Then you like rest for a minute and then, you know, it kind of continues in that pattern side. Again, the person in the back kind of runs up, takes the lead for a while, feels, you know, it's a, it's a hard little workout for those 30 seconds or so. The people are kind of hanging back or like more or less kind of drafting off of them. But I always like that. I felt like that made it like kind of just like a fun little game to run in. And it's a pretty hard workout. And it usually, you know, you're doing it over like a 30 minute cycle or so. So I think like it's not really like rest 30 seconds, run 30 seconds, but I think it's like run 30 seconds, you know, rest like a minute or two. And again, it's just kind of like patterning off uh, some someone dictating the pace, um, the other person drafting back cool so it's like a like almost like a leapfrog thing mm-hmm. okay yeah exactly yeah and then when you're in the back you got to kind of sprint back up to the front again when it's your turn yeah so it's better when you have like more people involved i think you can do it with like three or four people but it's best if you have like eight or so people because then like i said it gives a little bit more of a longer lead time that you're pacing at. and again you're not like running at a crazy sprint when you're doing it but you are just picking up the pace for that 30 second interval time period so it's an interval workout with the with the team essentially so let's, uh, yeah, let's get into it. I, I thought it'd be fun to start with uh, just 
answering the question of what the heck is financial planning because it's a very generic term. And uh, I certainly didn't know what to expect when I started looking into it. So I'd love to hear like your definition of what you think financial planning is. No, I think um, that's a good question in terms of like, what is financial planning? I think the simplest way I can phrase it is, I feel like my job is to help people make better financial decisions. And finances, like you're saying, is pretty global. I think the misconception often is just purely investments. And I would say like investments is, you know, essentially one of the six pillars of financial planning, um, where we have, you know, insurances, estate planning, net worth, investments, you know, those different items like that. So at the core, when I think of financial planning, it's essentially helping people make better financial decisions. And you would call yourself a financial planner, right? I would call myself a financial planner, yes. Okay. And so then your role is to like facilitate that basically, answer questions or or what does it look like when somebody comes in for the first time? When someone comes in for the first time, you know, usually the first thing I'm trying to figure out is what motivated them to come in for the first time. Like you're saying, I think that it's not like someone just got hungry for, you know, sushi and is looking up your local sushi shop and then calls them right away. Usually if someone's calling a financial planner, it's something that they've been thinking about um, and they might have a specific need. So that's often the first thing I'm asking people is, you know, what motivated you to come in today or want to talk today? Typically it's some kind of, I would say like a life event that has triggered it, like some kind of change is it, you know, has occurred or will be occurring. They might just be getting married. They might be changing jobs. They might have received, you know, a windfall, whether through like an inheritance or companies gone public um, or got bought. They might be getting a divorce. Someone might have passed away. So typically there is some kind of like life event or triggering event that has kind of triggered them to think like, shoot, am I make or they might be buying a house, you know, am I making the right decision here? So that's usually what that's what I'm looking for is like, what what is what's their main motivating factor in here? Because like you're, you know, exactly how you mentioned it before, like financial planning is so broad and I want to keep that scope to what is that person's hot topic. And so I can go deep down down their path. And then after that, um, yeah, then we'll take a step back and we'll talk big picture. You know, money means different things to different people. You know, we might have the same resources. We might make the same income. We might have the same amount of assets, but the way I view money, it might be different than how you view money or what I want to do in my life might be very different than what you want to do in your life. So I'm asking them, Hey, let's, let's do some imagination. Let's look down 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road again, depends on what their age is. And I want to figure out what does life look like? Forget the money part. What do you want your life to look like? What do you envision for yourself 20 years down the road over here or 10 years down the road? And, you know, that might be their children have graduated from college. And so now they're, they're independent or they want to stop working or they want to start their own business or they want to live in X, Y, and Z place. So, so I kind of try and start off on the far end and then work my way back into, okay, well now in the perfect world, what does life look like, you know, five years down the road? What does life look like one year down the road? Kind of work our way back. But often a lot of what we're doing or what I'm doing is goals-based planning or goals-based investing. Again, I want to tie what this money is. Why are you working? Why, you know, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? What does it mean to you? Because there's a lot of different ways to to get to that to that goal. So my job is to figure what you're looking to do first, and then I can back into how to get you there in the, in the most effective manner. 
So most of the time people come in with some event or something like something happened where they either lost a bunch of money or they have a bunch of extra money or some weird financial situation has changed and they just don't know what to do. Right. So they come in for advice, which can be different for everybody. Is your approach for everybody then completely different or is do you have like a system that you use with all of your clients? And obviously they have different goals, but is there just like a general approach that you like to take with everybody, even though they have different goals? Yeah. So I would say I have a a framework for people because like exactly what you're saying is that you're a young couple. um, I might meet a different young couple. They might have very, very different goals and what they're looking to do are very different motivating factors of what brought them in the door. So I do have a general framework that I do follow that I feel I can't apply to just about every case that's involved. Now, what the solution is or what the, you know, how we end up getting to that end result, that does become different for different people. So the framework that I follow, again, we're kind of on the, on the air. So if, I, if I'm drawing it, if you just very simply draw a triangle or pyramid and you cut that pyramid into three. So I always say we have to have a very strong fundamental or a strong foundation. And so that's the bottom of the pyramid. And I call that my worst case scenarios. For any person, I want to make sure at first that we cover these worst case scenarios. So what are those worst case scenarios? If I cut that bottom of the base into three, my first thing is if I'm working, my worst case scenario can be what happens if I lose my job or I stop working? Then do I have enough cash to sustain me to my next event, whether that's another job or, hey, I'm taking a sabbatical for a year. Do I have enough in that cash reserve portion in there? So the cash reserve for people is going to be different because it's going to depend on what your cash flow is. You might spend $5,000. Next person might spend $30,000. So three months of cash reserve, you know, for someone who spends $5,000 is $15,000. Someone who spends $30,000 a year, their cash reserve for that three months is 90,000. And cash reserves is a is a risk tolerance questions, right? Some people who are conservative, they want to have 12 months worth of cash reserve. Some people are very aggressive, they want to have 3 months worth of cash reserve. So again, now the you can see kind of the little nuances that are involved in there is going to be dependent on that individual person or family. Second worst case scenario is then going to be my insurances. What's my health insurance look like? What are my options? Do I have COBRA? What's my group health plan? Is it the right plan? Do I have disability insurance? Some people have it through their work, like a percentage. There's often a supplemental portion that you'll need. Do I have life insurance? Do I need life insurance? For someone who might be a little bit older, we talk about long-term care. Then we talk about property and casualty insurance, like car insurance, home insurance, or renter's insurance, umbrella policies. For someone who who's self-employed. We'll talk about their business insurance or liability exposure, et cetera. So that's my second worst case scenario. And then my third worst case scenario is going to be estate planning or a different way of talking about it is if I don't have a voice for myself, what is going to happen? So when I'm living, my worst case scenario can be, I can become incapacitated or in a coma or start losing my memory uh, or start, start losing my memory. So who can help me with my financial affairs? And then if I pass away, how things occurring. So again, that's my general framework. I'm talking with someone. You can go very deep into these different categories because everyone is going to be a little bit different. If I know what the scary things are in the closet and I know that there's solutions for them, that makes me a lot more open to then try and solve those or to make that conscious decision that, you know what, I get it. I get why trust is important. That's not for me. 
great. But we made that conscious decisions either to do it or not do it. Because sometimes, unfortunately, when we find out about those things is when we need it. And when we need it, it's too late. It's like, oh, shoot, I should have had a cash reserve while I was working. Oh, now I'm not working. I have no income. So I can't build on a cash reserve, right? So those are the worst case scenarios that people don't necessarily want to think about. But if we take care of that base, then I can focus on that second tier. And that second tier is my goals. I want to buy a house. Um, I want to move. I want to change my job. I'm thinking about starting a family. I'm thinking about getting married. I'm thinking about getting a divorce. How do we maximize your resources during that time? Or how do we help plan for those events that might be occurring in the future? So that's what I kind of call the, the middle of the base. And again, everyone's goals are different. You might have children. You might not have children. You might be about to retire. You might, you know, et cetera. The very tippy top of the pyramid is then what I want to give back or what I want to do for my community. You know, I might be donating to charities or gifting to different family members or to my university or whatever the case might be. But that pyramid follows that hierarchy of needs. First case, I want to make sure you're okay in extreme weather. In extreme situations, I want to make sure you're protected in there. Then I want to make sure that you're enjoying your life. I want those different things, you know, the reasons why you're working or the reasons why you're saving or you're investing. I want to make sure that you're enjoying that. And then if we feel good on that topic, then we'll start focusing on, okay, how do we give more effectively, more efficiently, give you the max tax break, et cetera. So that's typically the framework that I'll follow. But what goes on inside of there will vary amongst people. As I'm talking to you about those different items that I just mentioned, I'm getting a gauge of what are your resources? What's your time frame? What's your risk tolerance? All those things are important in determining the tax and investment strategy portion. So I always say the tax and investments is more of a secondary or tertiary item. I don't want those to guide your principal cores first. So that's often why I'll start off with that pyramid structure side. Yeah, it seems every part of that, the cash reserve, the insurances, what kind of thing you need to do for planning of estates, it's pretty flexible. Is something like retirement planning, like 401ks, is that part of that second tier you were talking about, like a, the long-term goal stuff? Yeah. So the retirement planning portion, yeah, it fall, it will fall into that second category of goals. Uh, when we're talking about, you know, what does life look like 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road? You know, some people will tell me, like, I plan on working my whole life. And that's great. That's, that's fantastic. I think more maybe retirement might not be the, the best word for everyone, but I think the better word would be more financial independence. At what point don't I need that income from that job, right? Like you might love what you do and that's fantastic. But at some point I would like you not to be dependent on your income because what we found or, you know, what studies show and what we've seen is that sometimes as I get older, as much as I might want to work, I might not be able to work for different reasons. My body might be slowing down. I might not be employable, right? The job market skills change over here. So different things can occur that might not be make you able to work your whole life. So usually for the retirement portion or the financial independence side, you know, if someone wants to work their whole life, I'll say like, okay, that's that's fantastic. Let's see if by age 65, you're financially independent. And if you want to keep working past that point, I know your numbers are going to look even better than this. And again, sometimes those people who want to retire at 50 or it's more, they want to just do something different, start up their own business and or travel more, volunteer more, or one person, she, she gardens more, um, you know, so et cetera. So it's, people have different... Um, goals in there. But, uh, but yeah, so that's quote unquote, that re- retirement side would fall in that second, second bucket. 
Is that a something that changes in the industry, calling it more of a financial independence versus retirement? Because I remember even in my time, we've always called it retirement, but I am hearing more and more, it's more like financial independence, especially because people's real jobs have the flexibility of them living anywhere and kind of controlling the amount they work. So retirement might just be scaling back from 40 hours a week to 20 hours a week. Most people that are doing stuff they enjoy aren't just going to stop doing it one day if they can continue doing it because it's fun and then people are going to pay them for it. So it's seems like it's a trend, at least with software development, a lot of companies don't require you to be in the office all the time and you're a little bit more flexible. Yeah, I think that definitely things change over time and it's, you know, it'd be a gradual cycle. It's kind of like college where, you know, it's pretty much expected that you go to this elementary school, middle school, high school, and then shortly afterwards, you'll go to college and get that four-year degree. You might get a master's or et cetera. But now it's starting to feel like, well, should I take a gap year? Do I need college? Is there different vocational skills that might be more applicable? So the formula for college is starting to change. And who knows what that's going to look like 10 years down the road? Will it be that traditional graduate, go there for four years? Or what will that model look like? Is it going to be more of, you know, you're looking online, there's one professor um, and people all over the world are tuned into this one professor um, here um, and are learning different things. So like you're saying, and then retirement is going to be the same thing. And, and the verbiage, yeah, the verbiage will always change. It, you know, it makes it feel a little bit fresher, newer. I was I was just driving, uh, I was driving last weekend through West Marine in. And I, I like the signs that were out there. It wasn't like home to be sold or I forget the exact word. It was like shown by or presented by home being presented by. So yeah, I think some of it is that little marketing spin that, that occurs. But I do think that financial independence might be a better term than retirement. Exactly for those reasons that you were saying is that people are okay to continue to work hard. It might not just be at that company doing that same thing. It's more of on their own terms and on their own terms kind of leads to that independent side. So I do think that will continue to be more more applicable. Um, do you find when people come in that generally they're okay talking about their finances? Obviously, they have to initiate it. So I, they're probably more open than just a random person. But money is so personal. I feel a little bit more detached from my money than I think some people do, I think. But do you ever have just really emotional discussions as part of your job, financial planning, and then part of it also just psychology and try, and trying to get people less emotionally attached or look at it with a little bit more logic or, or how does that work for you? You know, the interesting part was, you know, I, I more or less started this career field as a hobby that I found interesting. So I always feel very fortunate that, you know, people want to pay me for what I do and for my advice and they will actually listen to it. So I feel very, very fortunate for that. So like, you know, to your point, it was easy for me to like talk about my money because I enjoy talking about that. It, you know, I'm a student of the game. I enjoy, you know, different things that are out there on, on these different subjects. So I feel like I'm pretty open on that end. And so I was surprised when, where I've read different reports uh, or publications. And it says like, you know, senior financial advisor, your financial planner is like going to the dentist. And I was like, what? Like, no way. Like, I, I hate going to my dentist. That is not like, I that, that is not a fun experience. And it's true. Like, it can be a very, very emotional topic. 
And for different reasons, sometimes people feel like they might not have enough. So they're afraid to find that out. Sometimes people are in a relationship and they may not feel that they're contributing enough to that relationship, quote unquote, financially. And then people will compare themselves to other people. So yeah, so I do think the money portion is, it is a very emotional topic. And that's why, I, you know, I say like money means different things to different people. So part of my job is to understand what your motivating factors are, what your goals and outcomes are and tie it to that. So we can kind of wash away that noise. I don't want you to get distracted what the Jones are doing over here. I don't want you to get distracted of what you read in that periodical over here. My job is to focus on you. This is what you're looking to do. This is how we're going to do that. Here's your different options of how we can get there, which option feels best for you over here. But yeah, definitely. Um, I think a part of the job, I think, is that you have to be very good technically, meaning like I need to know the ins and outs of different rules or different ins and outs of the different changes that are going on in the financial landscape or the tax landscape landscape or the state planning landscape. I need to know the ins and outs of that. They need to know that, that that's a given, right? The other parts though, like you're saying, yeah, you start playing a little bit of that psychology role, that marriage counselor role, that life coach role that goes into it, right? Like you're saying, everyone is, is a little bit different in those topics. And I have to remain objective on your decisions. Like someone who wants to retire at 45, hey, more power to them. It's not like, oh man, like you lazy. What are you lazy? You don't want to work anymore after 45? Or someone who likes to donate a lot of money. It is not up to me to decide and say, this is how you should allocate your money or this is how you should be spending my money. It is your life. It is your money that you've worked hard to earn or to retain and to grow. And my job is to get you in those other optimal positions of, of where you want to get to. Um, and I think that's hard. I hear other advisors, you know, the way they talk sometimes, and it feels a little judgmental. And that that is not my job. And I don't want people to feel like they're being judged for their decisions, because I do think if they feel like they're being judged, then they won't be open in talking with me, or nor will I be objective in how I help them get to to their goal portions. But so, so yeah, there, there's a, everyone is a little bit different on, on how they view money. So I guess that kind of answers another question I had, which is as a client of a financial planner, of you as a financial planner, do we ever relinquish control of our money? And it doesn't sound like that's the case. We always have control over everything. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things in this field, it is a really, really low barrier for entry or exit. And I do that intentionally as well. I, I want you to be able to freely move money in and out to your bank. Or if you don't like me or the services that we're providing, or you don't feel like you're feeling getting a, getting a good value, et cetera, it is very easy to move it to X, Y, and Z firm. So, and I think that's important uh, because I do think that if people feel like it's getting tied up or they're losing that control and ability, then it, it is your goals. It is your life. It is your dreams. And so my, my job is to help facilitate it and, and work with you to get you to, to where you're looking to get to. And your life is, you know, life is not a straight line. You know, you might tell me, Hey, I'm looking to purchase this home in three years. And then, uh, you know, so we're working for that. And you might come in the very next day and say like, Hey, I bought a home. So my, my part is to adjust with that. Uh, so again, so I need to have that flexibility in order, if that is the case that your funds aren't tied up and saying like, Oh shoot, well, you know what, that home you bought, um, well, we can't really access your cash for another three years here. So, so anyway, so I do have to be remain, remain flexible because again, I know that people's decisions and goals change because different opportunities might arise. And hopefully it's not an impulse home purchase that occurred here, you know, but, but yeah, so part of my job is to grow it, but remain flexible because life changes. 
that specific scenario you just you described sounds a little bit familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a good example. Luis and I were like living in San Francisco with a pretty fairly healthy timeline of maybe a year and a half or something like that. And we just decided to go ahead and move in a few months. Uh, but yeah, it was easy. It was straightforward. So we appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I wasn't using you in that specific example, uh, because, but it, it has happened, you know, and it has it's happened again, more than one person, uh, clearly. But yeah, like I said, I think part of my job is, is to roll with what's occurring and to keep you on pace for it. At the end of the day, the biggest thing about financial planning or money or anything like that, life in general, you do not know how long you're going to live for, right? So there is not a perfect formula. There is no silver bullet in financial planning. There's no silver bullet in life. There are better options, better decisions, better planning aspects, best case scenarios, but I have to also have to plan for a worst case scenario. So, you know, I think the best thing hopefully I can provide to people is for them to understand what their options are. And if they choose option A or option B, what does that mean? You know, hey, if I decided to to switch this job for lower comp, but higher options, what does that risk reward possibly look like? If I decided to buy that vacation home, how does that change my retirement timeframe over here? Or, you know, if I decided to have a child, how does that change things? Um, I, I compare like the child, no child's like sometimes people will ask me, you know, should I buy that Tesla? And I'm like, mm, you know, that, I can't make that decision for you. That That's up to you. I can tell you what it means financially. Can you afford it? Is it going to throw off any of the goals that you had? But the reason why I don't tell someone whether or not to buy that Tesla is I'm not going to tell someone whether or not to have a child, right? Like that is your decision. And a child is way more expensive than a Tesla can ever be there. So I am not going to place judgment on one over the other. That was very helpful to us when we decided to move to Denver. You helped us do some forecasting on that, what the difference looks like in terms of buying a house or renting and staying in San Francisco and moving, all that kind of stuff. So providing those different scenarios is kind of cool to be able to visualize what it would look like if we made decision A or decision B. Yeah. Again, if I can kind of make it a bit objective with, you know, hard and fast numbers over here. I do think that to stick on this moving subject, there's a lot of decisions that go into moving. What does that mean for my job? What does that mean for location, my friends, my neighborhoods? There's a lot of emotional decisions or social decisions that can get involved in there. So hopefully I can take away one layer, which is a financial decision. Hopefully I can help to answer that point. So you don't have to worry about that. And then that allows you to then decide, yes, that is a good opportunity that I have over here. This is what I'm going to do from a community aspect, et cetera. So you can apply that home decision to retirement. Retiring is a very, very personal and emotional decision as well. A lot of sense of identity goes into that. Like, you know, you see these people at least eight hours a day. There's my work family, right? Now, what am I going to do? Am I getting older? So there's a lot of emotional decisions that go on with that. At a minimum, if I can help to alleviate like, well, this is what your finances will look like. Yes, you can do it. If you want to do it, yes, you can can do it, right? At least I can help to alleviate some of that financial pressure or the financial worrying that you might be doing at the time that we're not talking with each other. Okay. So let's say that somebody is now inspired and they want to, they want help with their financial planning. If you go to Google and you just Google financial planner, there's lots of results and they're very different. (laughs) Obviously people can work with you and you're based out of San Francisco and we're still working with you remotely in Denver. But if people want to actually look for a financial advisor, what kind of stuff should they be looking for? 
So I think with financial planning, like you're saying, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're nationwide, like I'll have clients who are all across the U.S. Um, so I think the first decision to make is, do you want to meet with someone in their office? That personal connection can be very, very important. So I think that's, that's a question to ask is, do I want to physically be able to see that person in there? I know like in the banking world, um, that can be important, uh, right? Where I love Wells Fargo because I can see their their office or their branch. However, like there's online banking accounts that pay you way more than Wells Fargo does. But again, some people just don't feel comfortable with that online or what we're doing right now, like the video chat side. So that's one aspect. Then the second aspect, I would try and figure out what are you, what are you looking to do? If you're just simply looking for investment management, that will send you down one path. If you are looking for more comprehensive planning, that will send you down a different path in terms of like an advisor or a planner. The hard thing about the industry is that if you type in financial planner, you can get an insurance agent who is very different than like someone who's covering like comprehensive planning, or you can type in financial planner and it is solely just someone who wants to focus on investment management. And again, there's no knock that is a right or a wrong. And it is more specifically, what are you looking from that person? Do we want someone to help me out in the big, all the big picture standpoint? Do we want someone to just help me out in one specific category. So I think that's important. I think the best part, just like a lot of things is word of mouth or referrals. It's it's kind of like, unfortunately, at that point, it then becomes like a mechanic or, or a construction person. You might be licensed. However, like, are you on time? How responsive are you? When you're looking at someone, you hope at a minimum, they already have the technical abilities, et cetera. But just like mechanics and just like a construction person, like there are different skill levels involved. And so I think that's where I think the, the word of mouth helps out. In absence of that, let's say that you just don't want to talk about finances with your friends or your colleagues. And so you don't want to talk about, you know, who's your financial planner and you're just kind of doing a search on your own. I would say a, a healthy starting point is the certified financial planning designation side or the CFP. I do think that that is a very rigorous test that takes a lot of time and energy to actually qualify for. There's a lot of hours that are spent in order to get that designation. Like the pass rate to get that is uh, I think right around 50%. A CFP or certified financial planner is very good if you're looking to do a comprehensive planning. If you're just looking for investment management purely, then you would look for more of like a certified financial analyst or a CFA. Again, the CFA is a very rigorous exam for just purely investment management side. So I'd say like one, one of those two divisions. When we are looking for a financial advisor. Something that I was concerned about when I started looking into this is that my advisor could be motivated by things other than what I wanted to do with my money. Like you mentioned, an insurance agent, for example, a little bit earlier. And when I hear agent, I think of somebody who's paid a commission to sell a specific product. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I thought of. Um, Is that something else that you need to be concerned about when looking for a financial advisor? Yeah, I think that, you know, what you'll often hear right now, are you a fiduciary? And it's sad that that's even like a topic. Um, so yes, we are fiduciaries. Or again, there are advisors who are not fiduciaries. And a fiduciary just simply means that I need to do what's in the best interest of my client. That's so basic and so sad. Like that's a buzzword and kind of like a hot topic right now. And, you know, in Congress, whether or not all advisors or planners should be considered fiduciaries. Uh, so yeah, so should you be a fiduciary? Absolutely. Is that a different 
differentiating factor. You know, it should be kind of like anything, you know, kind of we're talking about the insurance agents. There are some very, very good insurance agents that offer some very, very good products who kind of stay in, you know, their their scope of, of work. And there's others who are probably not. And unfortunately, I would say the same thing with financial planners who are fiduciaries. So again, it can be more or less at marketing things. So there can be very good financial planners who are not called a fiduciary who are very, very good planners and are doing the right thing for you because you shouldn't need to have that like that title of a fiduciary in order to do the right thing. So yeah, that, that's where I say like it gets a little bit complicated in the field. And I think that's why, you know, so the, the industry unfortunately gets gets a bad rap sometimes is that it should just be a given, you know, like those commercials, I think for Geico, where they're talking about like the, the doctors and stuff like that, like you should not hope that the doctor is not motivated by doing a surgery because their, their practice is going to get compensated more or that they're not qualified to do it, um, right? It should be a given that your doctor is qualified for that. Isn't that a thing? I feel like that's a thing, though. With certain drug companies, you actually do want to provide certain medications over other ones just because there's some benefit to the hospital to providing those drugs. They get like a kickback or, or they cost less for them or or something. So scary stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, that that is a thing in the, in the medical field. You know, so again, the doctor is probably a surgeon or, you know, highly qualified and is like on the different national publication magazines as a top doctor and meanwhile can be doing that. So again, from the fiduciary aspect, one of the things that we've just started using in, in our practice more is our investment policy statement, which just simply outlines exactly what you're saying is that we do not recommend X, Y, and Z firm. There is no kickback that we receive from these different firms. We do not receive soft dollars. You know, sadly, we have to explicitly say that where we've been doing that for years, but it unfortunately is a differentiating factor that we, we don't have those soft dollars we don't get those kickbacks in there. So that would be a question that you would want to ask your financial planner, or your investment professional. Is there any fees that I might not be seeing or, or, you know, or, and that it's very transparent. You understand what you're paying for. Okay. I understand that that was the cost that was involved with it. And yes, I think that was worth it or no, I do not think it was worth it. But what you don't want is like, oh, there's this cost. And meanwhile, there's other, these other layers that are, that are wrapped into it. Hopefully that, that, that is where the field will continue to go to. And, and unfortunately from a consumer standpoint, there is sometimes digging that you'd have to do in order to get that. Yeah, if only there was a, a Yelp for financial advisors, but there is not. So word of mouth is definitely seems like the great way to meet somebody if you have access to somebody else who's already using a financial planner that they like. They've, they've had experience, they've really enjoyed working with this person, and that pretty much sums it up because there's just too many choices sometimes. Yeah, I think there's a lot of choices. And like I said, in the absence of that, I think the CFP site is a good starting point where it will have financial professionals who have at a minimum passed that certification standpoint. The CFA will also have have that as well. So I think those are good starting points in the absence of a word of mouth person. Oh, that's actually, uh, I didn't realize that those were websites. Is it like a database that shows the people that got those certifications? Yes. And then also, you know, talking with your other financial professionals, like your accountant and asking, do you have any recommendations or your estate attorney asking who they enjoy working with? I think are other people that you can ask as well. So I think people at this point probably have a good high level overview of the benefits they can get from a financial advisor if they're interested. Do you have any links or contact information that you can provide for yourself or for the firm that you work at if people want to ask you specifically more questions or get in contact with you? Yeah, um, we can find us at briofg.com. That's B-R-I-O-F-G.com. Again, I think that there's a lot of different flavors that are that are out there um, in terms of planning. And so there's not one right solution out there for people. It is finding what is 
is that right solution for you specifically? Um, and I think our approach has been a comprehensive approach. I think we try to do it, you know, hence our name, Brio. I think we try to do it in a joyful and lively manner. So it doesn't feel like it's a stuffy, like suit place only type of atmosphere. But at the same time, I think we do take our, our work very, very seriously. Um, and I think we feel very fortunate. And our hope is, is that people who work with us, they, they feel like family. So that's, that's our approach. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot again for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks again, Abraham, for coming on the show and giving us an overview of financial planning and some of the stuff we could be thinking about. I'll have a link to Brio Financial and a few other things in the show notes if you wanted to check them out and if you had any more questions for Abraham or any of the other folks that work there. And you can find those show notes at healthyhacker.com slash 23. 